Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show, now processing the entire year of 2023. Strap in folks, the nerds have arrived, bringing you the ultimate nerd podcast. Nerds, the worlds of gaming, horror, TV, and film have collided right here. This will be your finest hour. Welcome to our year in review. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, it's our 2023 year in review. Listen as we count down our favorites in TV, horror, gaming, wrestling, and film. But before we get started with our year in review countdowns, I was thinking about this today while compiling my list. Um, And, you know, stop me if you think I'm wrong, but 2023 was kind of a dumpster fire christian um not to start off on a negative note or anything but like and not everything was bad um you know especially on the horror front but there were just a lot of films and series that i was looking forward to that just really shit the bed um like comic book fatigue felt like it became a real thing for the first time Mm-hmm. Um, from The Flash, Quantumania, Secret Invasion, um, you know, even Mandalorian Season 3 had its issues. Um, this year was just really rough. Like, I still can't believe that The Flash managed to fuck up Michael Keaton's return as Batman. Like, <laughs> how is that even possible? Just the <sighs> hottest of hot garbage. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, w- what are your thoughts? Uh, 2023 i mean it was the best year in gaming uh in quite a while i mean i I, at least i can say that like almost every release that came out this year was fantastic but um as yeah as far as tv and film go uh it's been a rough bag for sure um i mean i sat through rebel moon recently and that was uh a journey uh for sure (laughs) (laughs) um i think my biggest issue is like so many of the films that we're anticipating this year just didn't deliver um and then like and i know we don't usually talk about wrestling up front but AEW struggled big time creatively this year um it just felt like they were really going through this identity crisis and didn't know what kind of show it wanted to be um and when you're reviewing you know that show for what five hours a week now that Uh could definitely make you know what we do feel like a chore at times like don't get me wrong like more wrestling is always a good thing in my book but i feel like the addition of collision like made it more difficult for me to even you know give wwe any time um because i would at least dabble you know especially like last year but like when we get into our countdowns when it comes to wrestling it, it definitely reflects the fact that all i really had time to watch was AEW, um because that's pretty much what we cover on the show mm. Now, if the show quality continues to take a dip in 2024, that might change. But for right now, continuing to review AEW Weekly is, is still the plan. So, and I, I do feel like the Continental Classic kind of got that old feeling back in a way. Uh, but damn it, it was rough for a while. Yeah, everything up to about the Continental Classic, just it's almost a blur of how weird all those storylines were with how aimless things seem to have been going at the, uh, you know, before that event or tournament, you know, started. It just all felt very poorly done at that point. And I definitely, instead of having superhero fatigue, was getting wrestling fatigue, as you know, you just mentioned. Also, I think one of the big issues was the uncertainty of everything with the SAG after strikes going on, um, you know, of course, caused by the 
greedy ass studios but it really like left this like dark cloud over everything for a lot of this year um and everything was just like in flux with like just tons of delays and constant like reshuffling of the schedule um the release schedule that is uh it, it was like you know we were back in like the pandemic almost and what sucks about it it's something that we're going to be feeling for like the next couple years unfortunately um, but, you know, with that being said, I'm glad that the writers and actors finally were able to get what they deserve, or at least, a, you know, it was a step in the right direction. But as we said earlier, you know, there was a lot of superhero fatigue, a lot of films, you know, that just came out rushed and stuff like that this past year that didn't feel right. So maybe this will allow everyone a chance to reset the table. I mean, the studios are definitely going to, you know, be rushing to make more money again. But yeah, of course, <laughs> hopefully this is going to get you know get people give some time to build the right things here in the future no exactly uh, hopefully it teaches people that quality control is important um yes you know that fans aren't just going to accept anything you throw out there with like a marvel stamp or a star wars stamp on top of it like i mean if anything fans are more finicky and more demanding of a high standard from their you know favorite franchises which is the way it should be but with all that being said this year wasn't all doom and gloom. It just wasn't all unicorns and rainbows also. Like, we, I mean, we have to be honest. Uh, but there were some fantastic films and shows that did come out that, you know, made this year tolerable. Now, as we count down our favorites in each different category, just a quick reminder, these are our favorites and we haven't seen everything. So if something that you really loved isn't on our list, it's okay, relax. Um, if anything, recommend it in the comments section. I mean, you know where you can find us at Amazing Nerd Show on all your favorite social media platforms. And hell, let us know what your countdowns look like. I think my New Year's resolution for the show is we get a little more interactive with our fans. What do you think, Christian? I think that's fine. I, uh, I guess mine is to do more video content. <laughs> <laughs> you antisocial bastard. <laughs> Anyway, let's go ahead and get into our countdowns. And now for Damon's top five shows of 2023. Number five, What If Season 2. Who the hell is that guy? Wow, is it really you? If you are referring to your doom, then yes. Bummer. I thought you were the dude from Van Halen. Beautiful cinematic animation pulse-pounding action, and just brimming with some of my all-time favorite MCU characters. I mean, what's not to love about the second season of What If? Comparably, this season was a lot more light and breezy than the last, and maybe that was due to more one-off episodes, but honestly, that choice actually reminded me a lot more of the format of the original comic book series, so I was fine with it. And it really wasn't until they tried to shoehorn and revisit the Supreme Strange storyline that I had any real issues. But despite a clunky final episode, I did think this second season was another strong entry into the MCU's foray into animation. And I, for one, can't wait to see what they do next. Number four, Loki season two. In order to do that, I need a Loki who remains. We need to address the fact that you keep disappearing. Well, I, I keep disappearing. We don't Loki. have time to... <laughs> you just disappeared. I know. And I can't keep looking at it because it's horrible. What? I thought you said it didn't look that bad. I was lying. 
quirky, stylish, and at times absolutely insane. As a show, Loki on paper shouldn't work, but it somehow does. While a series like What If is about the spectacle of the multiverse, Loki though is more of a character piece that uses the multiverse as a way to explore his personal journey. So much so that by the end of the second season, Loki is by far one of the most fully developed and beloved characters in all of the MCU. Number 3, Gen V. So how do we think your 18 to 49 demo will fare when we broadcast you despoiling every single hole you come across? As a spin-off series, Gen V had an uphill battle of having to live up to the high bar set by, in my opinion, one of the best series going, The Boys. But the show proved itself more than a simple companion piece because it's somehow just as subversive and compelling as its sister series and at the same time does a great job of world building and being its own thing. The first season of the show introduced us to a lot of messed up yet lovable characters that will eventually no doubt cross over to the main series, but that just means when it happens we'll be more invested in their story. And that's what makes this series great. Gen V does nothing but enhance the dark and twisted superhero universe built by the boys, while at the same time paving its own entertaining fucked up path. Number 2, Ahsoka. I gave you a choice. Live. Or die. Incorrect. The era of the Empire is upon us, and so is the Filoni era of Star Wars. Action-packed and filled with mysticism, intrigue, and some awesome new characters, this follow-up to the Rebel series is the perfect balance of old and new, and checks all the right boxes for this longtime fan. I mean, one of Ahsoka's most impressive accomplishments is being a crossroad for three different generations of Star Wars nerds, giving them all something to really sink their teeth into. I'm happy to say that Filoni's Star Wars is off to an amazing start, and for the first time in a long time, the franchise feels like it's in safe hands. Number 1, Last of Us. But I have lost people too. You have no idea what loss is. Everybody I have cared for has either died or left me. Everybody fucking except for you! So don't tell me that I'd be safe with somebody else because the truth is, I would just be more scared. Anchored by stellar performances by Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey, and driven by beautifully textured storytelling, there was never a doubt what would take my top spot this year. The Last of Us is a prime example of how the horror genre, when done right, is the perfect platform to tell stories about the human condition. Bleak and heartbreaking, the show was emotionally draining, but at the same time, you were so invested in Joel and Ellie's journey that you didn't dare turn away. That's a masterclass in storytelling at its finest, and that's why The Last of Us is my favorite series of 2023. And now for Christian's top five shows of 2023. Number five, Gen V. Is he? 
Gen V had every opportunity to be a cash grab after the success of the boys, but instead we got a piece that you know helped evolve the known universe with its equally as disturbing and fun season. New heroes like Marie Monroe will be a great addition to the you know ever expanding series that's already chock full of cool characters and great performances. Uh, the boys universe continues to be the high bar in superhero content, and I can't wait to see how Gen V's story influences the main story going forward. Number four, Netflix's One Piece. I'm gonna find the old blue. I'm gonna be king of the pirates. I'm gonna be the world's greatest swordsman. I'm gonna draw a map of the world. So you know what they say about Netflix and live action anime, it's uh, definitely something to fear, especially since Netflix has butchered some adaptations of anime's, you know, classics. And with One Piece being, you know, a beloved series, there was so much they needed to get right with this for it to work. But finally, I can say we've gotten a live action adaptation that seems to get what made its original story work with faithful recreations of characters and their powers to all the charm of that Straw Hat Pirates gang being put on you know, full display here. Luffy in particular has some of the best stretchy power CGI I've ever seen on screen as he performs you know, all of his signature moves. With the success, skies are the limit right now for this series as it's one of the anime's longest running series of all time. So we'll see if Netflix can really hold on to this momentum and create a series worth sticking around for. Number three, Ahsoka. was first just a dream has become a frightening reality for those who may oppose us. Damon was right. There was definitely something for about everyone who was a Star Wars fan in the Ahsoka series. As Filoni, as Filoni, you know, and company capitalized on years of storytelling, tapping into the Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels, the prequels, and more to tell this story, which finally brought a level of closure for one of Star Wars' best characters of all time and her former master in Anakin Skywalker, as we move into what is most likely the final chapters of Ahsoka's story. This series also expands on deep Star Wars lore without dragging the series down with you know, the introductions of Skull and Hati, and delivers Thrawn to live-action Star Wars as we build up to what will be a thrilling war in the Mandoverse. Plus, they finally built a lightsaber in live-action, so this should honestly be my you know, number one, but it sits here at three anyway. Number two, Loki season two. I'll change the equation. I'll break your loom. Um, but the loom prevents a brutal war where nothing survives. Loki. Not even the sacred timeline. Time travel stories often get me a little frustrated in the details, but Loki season two felt like a masterclass in storytelling as it capitalized off the events across two seasons of the show in ways I never saw coming. Tom Hiddleston and company put on such compelling performances as they try to prevent the collapse of the multiverse and Loki's glorious purpose is found as he becomes one of the most important characters in the MCU. This story hits the heartstrings and endears you to this villain as he finds his place in the grand scheme of the multiverse. I was absolutely moved by Loki's final moments and I'm even considering getting a tattoo of the multiversal world tree, but 
We'll see if that ever happens. Number one, Last of Us. The bunker code is the same as the gate code, but in reverse. Anyway, I never liked you. But still, it's like we're friends. Almost. And I respect you. So I'm gonna tell you something because you're probably the only person who will understand. I used to hate the world and I was happy when everyone died. But I was wrong because there was one person worth saving. That's what I did. I saved him. Like I mentioned with the One Piece live action adaptations, you know, or have been pretty much misses as of late, especially for video game adaptations. But The Last of Us was primed to be an easy crossover as the game itself already feels like a cinematic experience born for the big screen. HBO you know, delivered on what is a harrowing journey through this you know, fungi infected world as Neil Druckmann got to take his original story and add new layers of depth to what was already considered an instant classic. I mean, there's a reason it's been re-released multiple times in its short lifespan because the story of Joel and Ellie is just so easy to fall in love with and you know having Pedro Pascal you know father of the century working alongside Bella Ramsey was just a match made in heaven for this series I can't wait to see how they continue the story and what you know new avenues they may take the second game in with this next season and now for Damon's top five horror movies of 2023 so 2023 was another banner year for horror and I actually think it was one of the strongest years in a long long time from slash films making a comeback, to long-standing franchises returning to form, to indie horror films continuing to make an impact on mainstream Hollywood and at the box office. Horror was an all-you-can-eat buffet this year with a little something for everyone, and let's just say genre fans were eating damn good in 2023. So for new listeners, every year I do a completely separate horror countdown from, you know, my favorite films of the year list, simply because I'm biased when it comes to the horror genre, and it would totally just dominate all my countdowns. And maybe I want to give the genre a little more love and spotlight, to be honest. Now, with that being said, there were so many fantastic offerings this year that this was by far my most difficult list to put together, uh, especially at the number one spot. So anyway, without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, some quick honorable mentions. Uh, first up, we've got Cobweb, Hell House Origins, Scream 6, Megan, and Knock at the Cabin. Like I said, it really was a great year for horror. Number five, Thanksgiving. John Carver was one of the first pilgrims and the founder of Plymouth, Massachusetts. Soon after settling, 50 of his fellow pilgrims died mysteriously. With the deaths only ceasing after Carver's passing, locals left his remains to rot in the town center. But legend has it his spirit still stalks Plymouth to this day. Thanksgiving was Eli Roth finally delivering on a long-awaited promise. It was both a love letter to slasher films of yesteryear, and at the same time proof that the subgenre is unkillable like the maniacs that stalk the films themselves. The movie somehow manages to feel nostalgic and fresh at the same time, and is everything that it needs to be and more. Filled with creative kills and driven by some good old-fashioned suspense, Roth reminds us why it's so fun being a horror fan in the first place. Number 4, Evil Dead Rise. You don't look so good, Mom. Nothing a big old hug and kiss from you won't fix. Open up now, like a good girl. 
Taking the Evil Dead out of the cabin and into the city breathed new life into the franchise. But I also think just as important was centering the horror around a family this time out, not just your typical group of 20 year olds. There's just something more visceral and frightening about children having to battle it out with their own dead-eyed infected mother. This wicked violent ride was just an amazing start to hopefully a new chapter for the series. Number 3, Infinity Pool. don't have the words to even describe this film, so I'm not. Um, Brandon Cronenberg, like his father before him, has a penchant for the bizarre. Uh, a couple go on an all-inclusive vacation when a horrible accident reveals their true nature. That's really all I have for you. Um, Mia Goth and Alexander Skarsgård are fearless in their performances, and Cronenberg continues to make a name for himself as the kind of maverick artist that isn't afraid to challenge his audience. The kind of artist we truly need more of. Number two, when evil lurks. No, no, así no se mata la maldad, don Luis. Va a ser peor. Si lo mata, se muere usted. No lo haga. Se nos va a meter en nuestro cuerpo. Se nos va a meter en nuestra alma. So, as a horror fan, When Evil Lurks is that kind of film that once the credits start to roll, you're pulling out your phone to text and recommend it to your other horrorhead friends. It's that kind of movie that, you know, just has to be shared and talked about at all costs. Um, the film is a unique turn on the possession subgenre as we watch a small town succumb to evil like a plague. But it's as much about human nature as it is about the supernatural. Filled with brutal, unforgiving moments, you know pretty much from jump that just like the characters, you're not safe and nothing is sacred. Its cruelty might be too much for some, so beware, but if you're a genre fan looking for a truly unforgettable experience, I can't recommend When Evil Lurks enough. Number one, talk to me. Talk to me is a disturbing tale of the destructive power of unbridled grief. Now, at its core, it's a classic ghost story that doesn't necessarily reinvent the wheel, but at the same time, it's so well crafted and unrelenting with its style that Talk to Me transcends its traditional tropes to become something truly special. Packed with strong performances, legitimate scares, and a thick atmosphere of dread. Talk To Me continues a 24 streak of being the preeminent studio for horror and my pick for best horror film of 2023. And now for Christian's top five video games of 2023. Like I said up top, uh, this week while 2023 has been a rocky year for media, gaming has had an all time high with some of the most solid releases back to back. There simply wasn't enough time 
to even play all these games that were coming out this year, as I'm still doing catch up on a few of them right now. If you're a gaming fan, there was absolutely something out there for you. And I would also love to know exactly what you guys played this year. So make sure to let me know in the comments. But as far as my honorable mentions go for this year, um, I have Horizon Motorsports, um, Street Fighter 6, and what I thought was going to be my game of the year, um, Starfield. But that game, you know, needed a little bit more work, a little bit, you know, a little bit more to it to break into my top five but I'm still enjoying it overall. Either way, let's go ahead and get into that top five. Number five, Dead Space Remake. This transformation, it's remarkable. As a huge fan of the original release of Dead Space, I was equally horrified and excited to get to experience it all over again as the team over at Motive, you know, captured the feel of the original experience perfectly while giving it you know the visual upgrades that make repurchasing the game worth it there's never a moment i'm not on edge while playing dead space and while it may not have been like that overhaul that you've been seeing in resident evil remakes i was still lost in the nostalgia of it all if you haven't ever tried dead space i highly recommend it you know it's one of my favorite horror experiences of all time um, you can play the game uh, for even cheaper than it is by picking up like EA Play or um, getting it through uh, Game Pass right now. Number four, Hi-Fi Rush. Check this out. Music player in my chest. It's powering up my new robot arm. Whoa. It's making everything sync up with the beat. Let's rock. This is awesome. Another game on Game Pass and a game that you know took me by surprise this year was Hi-Fi Rush. Dropping right after its announcement, this rhythm-based adventure game will have you rocking out while slaying corporate-controlled bots. It's incredibly stylized and it hits the mark on every level for a rhythm, you know, slash anime style game. Um, it's definitely a sleeper hit of this past year, and I've always enjoyed the rhythm game genre. But its mix of style and cool gameplay is something that you know makes it such a standout compared to all the other you know games that have come out recently. Number three, Jedi Survivor. You were only a child when they sent you off to war. Now look at you, the weight of a galaxy on your shoulders. The follow-up to the successful Fallen Order game continues Cal Kestis' journey and takes an unexpected turn as we learn more of what was going on during the High Republic era of Star Wars and what it could mean for the future of Star Wars altogether. I'm a huge fan of Remedy's level design and loved getting to experience the story. It isn't without its flaws though, as the third act kind of fell flat on me, but the mystery and journey up to that point was great and opened up many possibilities for the Star Wars universe. This next game feels like it's probably going to be entering a very dark chapter for the main character, and I'm excited to see how they handle and explain Cal's journey in comparison to the rest of Star Wars canon. Number 2, Marvel Spider-Man 2. Miles, this is crazy. We call it a symbiote, and it chose you. Get it off of him! Ready for your annual physical? I'm the hero here, not you. The hell's going on with me? You're not yourself. Uh, you want to join us? He's here. Fuck down the whole building! I know I can snap him out of this! We can fight this together! 
praising Insomniacs since the release of the first Spider-Man game by their studio as, you know, they seem to be, you know, really get what a Spider-Man story should be. And again, they delivered with a jaw-dropping tale that while may be more action-heavy this time around, still was an enjoyable, you know, story from start to finish. I was not prepared for Venom's storyline at all in this game, and it's not a complicated one, but how much they, you know, change the whole game world once Venom is involved, I never saw coming. I can't wait to see what they do with Wolverine, and I'm excited for the future, as it feels like the universe is only getting bigger for Spider-Man and all Marvel titles, uh, potentially, over at Insomniac. Number 1, Baldur's Gate 3. How would you feel about helping me kill some evil bastards? Blackith blesses me this day. Together, we might survive. I'll enjoy watching you try. In mere moments, all that you have dreaded will come to pass. I will preface this, I have not completed Baldur's Gate 3, uh, but in my time playing it, it's obviously on another level than anything else that has come out this year. Larian gambled hard and put in an experience that captures the pure essence of D&D roleplay with so much player choice and freedom. It has you know, shook the gaming industry to its core because other studios are terrified they won't be able to push out games of this quality. Major companies are literally shitting themselves over how big Baldur's Gate is, and they should because this should now be the bar, especially in the RPG field. Entering a world and getting to do whatever you want while also living in a well-crafted story is all gamers ask for in a role-playing game experience. And Larian not only hit this mark, but over-delivered on every level. You can't play this game and not realize just how much better it is at what it's accomplished than anything else that's come before. And I hope this will you know, dawn big changes in the game's industry as other studios try to emulate what Bowler's Gate got right this time around. But with that said, that does it for my top five games of the year. Um, let me know what yours were. Let me know if there's a game that I should have been playing. I would love some recommendations for this upcoming year. I'm going to be playing a ton that comes out this year. Plus, I'm you know still catching up on old games like Bowler's Gates. Um, I definitely want to get back into Bowler's Gate. I am enjoying playing my journey as an absolute asshole. We're playing as um, Dennis Reynolds from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So make sure to join me when I return to streaming um, either later this month or at the start of February as The Amazing Nerd Show Live is still under construction. But with that said, it's time for our best films of 2023. And now our feature presentation. And now for Damon's top five films of 2023. Number five, The Killer. This is what it takes. What you must commit yourself to. If you want to succeed. The Killer is as cold and calculating as the assassin that the film's about. David Fincher's stylish noir thriller is both methodical and immaculate. Michael Fassbender gives a hypnotic performance and really carries the film on his back while reminding you why he's one of Hollywood's most underrated actors today. Now, the ending might turn some people off, but for me, it made perfect sense for the movie's real-world sensibilities. Number 4, Saltburn. Good luck. He doesn't smile much. 
Charlie seems to think he's ghastly. Why are you friends with that poor, not attractive, and his parents are drug addicts? I can't uh, uh, actually understand. And here he is now. We were just talking about Don't you. Don't be silly. Charlie, you just make up the most awful things. Of course we weren't. Hello, Oliver, darling. So I loved Emerald Fennell's Promising Young Woman. Um, so needless to say, I was definitely interested in checking out her sophomore effort, and I wasn't let down. Even if the film becomes incredibly predictable about halfway through, the performances and execution keeps you riveted. Um, in the film, we watch as Oliver becomes infatuated with his new aristocrat friend Felix, and when he's invited to spend the summer with his absurdly eccentric family, debauchery ensues. Uh, a psychological thriller disguised as a dark comedy, or maybe it's the other way around. Uh, the film can be a case of flair over substance at times, but regardless, there's no denying that it keeps you engaged in a way that not many films can. And it feels like the kind of movie that will be talked about for a long, long time. And that's why it's number four on my list. Number three, John Wick 4. If you win, the table will honor its word. You will have your freedom. But you won't take it. Blades. Pistols. Dueling pistols. 30 paces. In the event that both parties survive, each will approach the other at increments of 10 paces until only one remains. So I don't know how they keep on pulling this off, but every one of these sequels seem to get better and better than the last. Um, bar none, these are some of the best action sequences captured on film ever. Uh, I mean, at this point, after four films, you would think that you would start to grow numb to the quote-unquote gun-fu of it all, but that's not the case, because they always find a way to outdo themselves. The choreography and camera work is just absolutely sensational in this film. And I mean, at this point, you've got to figure it's only a matter of time before every major franchise comes knocking on director Chad Stelsky's door. I hope I'm not destroying his name, but it sounds like I am. I apologize. Because, I mean, what he's doing for action films is absolutely groundbreaking and should be applauded. Number two, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Maybe if, if you open yourself up to it. There's a possibility. I don't think so, Quinn. Quill. Quill. I don't think so. Well, what I'm trying to say is... Peter, you know this is an open line, right? What? We're listening to everything you're saying. And it is painful. And you're just telling me now? We were hoping it would stop on its own. But I switched it over to private. What color button did you push? Blue, for the blue suit. Oh, no. Blue was the open line for everyone. So James Gunn does it again, and no one is surprised. Uh, in his final opus with Marvel, he pulled out all the stops and delivers a heartfelt farewell to the characters that he made us fall in love with a decade ago. Rocket takes center stage as his origin story is finally revealed and you start to realize that maybe all these films have really been his story the entire time. And even though I doubt this will be the last time that we see them on screen together, uh, Volume 3 was the perfect bow on this version of the Guardians and their story. Number 1, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Everyone keeps telling me how my story is 
supposed to go? You have no idea what you're doing! So I was concerned that Lord and Miller would have a difficult time following up the magic that they created with the first film. With the film's bigger scope, could Miles get lost in the shuffle? And with it being a part one of a two-part story, will the ending feel flat? Well, thankfully, that wasn't the case at all. What they crafted with Spider-Verse was a wonderful coming-of-age story where even with all this spectacular animation and the multiverse of it all, what shined through was a classic Spider-Man tale of what true heroism looks like. It reminded me why I love Spider-Man as a character in the first place. And that's why it's an easy pick for me for my number one favorite film of 2023. And now for Christian's top five films of 2023. All right, some quick honorable mentions before I get into my list. Blue Beetle was probably the best uh, DC movie to come out this year. Um, I definitely think you guys should have checked that out. Um, Barbie was also a really good time. And Godzilla Minus One, which I've seen on a lot of people's top lists, um, didn't crack my top five, but I did really enjoy it. I saw it not that long ago, like last week. But all right, uh, let's get right into it. Number five, Scream 6. What? He's got a knife. What? And that's not the worst part. The worst part is you teach a class about slashers and you still walked into a dark alley, alone. Peter, that's not funny. <sighs> no, it's not. Usually by the sixth installment of a horror franchise, if you didn't love the past few films, you're not going to magically become a fan of the franchise. But after Scream 5's introduction of a new cast of victims and the introduction of the Carpenter sisters, Scream 6 delivered what was probably my favorite film in the entire series, as Gillette and Olpen, you know, give us a more aggressive killer that brings out the worst in Billy's daughter. I was visibly cheering them on in the theater by the final act as Melissa Barrera's Samantha begins to kind of embrace her instincts. The story itself may be a little easy to predict, but overall, my enjoyment superseded its obvious, you know, twist. Unfortunately, though, just as shit was getting good here, the next installment in the franchise will probably be scrapping that story, and, you know, completely. Um, but I'll definitely be returning to this film again a couple times uh, in the future, for sure. Number four, John Wick 4. You want to kill him? I want to kill him. <laughs> What about you, Mr. Vic? I'm going to kill you. Oh, for better, of course, yeah. <laughs> As punchy and thrilling as its soundtrack, the John Wick franchise hits every mark I look for in an action flick. And even after four installments, I'm begging for more as the film has slowly built its own universe of assassins. My only complaint from this film was the bulletproof suits, as I didn't like everyone having one, you know, this time around. But then I got, you know, a top-down sequence with Dragon's Breath shotgun rounds looking like, you know, a live action version of, you know, the game Hotline Miami, and I about lost my shit at just how cool that entire sequence was. Plus, there was a gunfight to one of my favorite EDM tracks of all time. I was just in absolute heaven while watching this film. And I'm hoping for, you know, similar success in the franchise for like Anna DeArmas' spinoff and Ballerina. I still need to watch the Continental show though. I hope that was good. Number three, Oppenheimer. Hitler's dead true but the japanese fight on their defeat seems assured not if you're a gi preparing to invade 
We can't end this war. But how do we justify using this weapon on human beings? We're theorists. Yes? We imagine a future, and our imaginings horrify us. But they won't fear it until they understand it, and they won't understand it until they've used it. When the world learns the terrible secret of Los Alamos, our work here will ensure a peace mankind has never seen. A peace based on the kind of international cooperation that Roosevelt always envisaged. What could be a more intense and thrilling thing to watch than an atomic bomb going off, you ask? Well, um, that would be watching Killian Murphy, you know, be an absolute bastard as the scientist who created the atom bomb for three hours. Christopher Nolan added again with the telling of the story of mankind's most destructive weapon and everything that could and now, you know, go wrong because of it. And yet I found myself more enthralled in the aftermath as Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. put on incredible performances trying to take each other down the chemistry was just absolutely explosive which only you know added to this visual spectacle that you expect from a nolan film as his cinematography choices are always beautiful i won't lie i thought i was going to get bored and fall asleep in this especially after watching a colorful film like barbie but i was on the edge of my seat as i watched you know the build-up and aftermath of one of the key moments in human history Number two, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Someday, I'm gonna make great machines that fly. And me and my friends are gonna go flying together into the forever and beautiful sky. Lila and Teefs and Floor and me. Rocket. Rocket. It really is good to have friends. So there were a couple films that invoked an emotional response from me this year. And you can't blame me after this one because Gunn put together this heart-wrenching conclusion to one of the best trilogies so far in the MCU. Not only was the story of Rocket you know, so endearing, but seeing things come to a head for all of these beloved characters will be something that sits with me for a long time. And it was all, of course, enhanced by a villain that actually felt evil for a change instead of the typical I'm doing the wrong things for the right reasons kind of characters that we've been getting in the MCU. Along with a final act that rivals some of Marvel's biggest films, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 was just absolutely perfect and one that you should be watching if you haven't seen it. Number one, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Singh's death was a canon event. You weren't supposed to be there, and you weren't supposed to save him. That's why Gwen tried to stop you. I thought you were trying to save me. I was. I... I was doing both. And now, Miles, because you changed the story, Pavitra's dimension is unraveling. If we're lucky, we can stop it. Okay, and then there was the other film that hit me hard this year, which was Across the Spider-Verse. I, like Damon, worried that they wouldn't be able to deliver a satisfying enough sequel after how good the first film was. And knowing that this was a part one to a part two story, which I always hate cliffhanger endings, but the journey Miles goes on in this film combined with the incredible visuals and a soundtrack that has dominated my life since the film's release, I was just awestruck by what they accomplished here. Not only was there enough room for Miles, but they got an excellent story for, you know, Spider-Gwen as well. As we see both of these characters kind of take different but equally difficult paths in this film. It had, you know, all the heart of a Spidey tale through its entire DNA and never became 
you know too overcomplicated with its multiverse elements and landed on a dark twist that you know sets up what should be an incredible third film once it's completed i really do hope that sony and company give the next film all the time it needs because this franchise has become something that's you know, so important to me as a fan of both animation and spider-man um, easily the best thing i've watched all year and if you haven't seen it it's on netflix right now um, watch it now again tomorrow every day that you can because it was so fucking good but all right now let's move on to the best of wrestling Kenny Omega remember me I'm the guy you left covered in my own blood and the Tokyo Dome now you should have killed me when you had the chance because I'm back for revenge I will walk into Canada Osprey versus Canada and I'm bringing back the IWGP United States Championship Alright Christian, so like we were talking about up front, 2023 was definitely a mixed bag when it came to the you know, wonderful world of wrestling. Um, you know, we had the highest of highs, which, you know, for me was probably Wembley, right? AEW selling out this giant stadium. Absolutely. 80,000 some people or whatever the actual number was. Um, and then we hit the lowest of lows, which for me would be, you know, seeing Punk running around, punching people in the back. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> that was pretty <laughs> shitty. Uh <laughs> But it all worked out for the best at the end, right? Sure. <laughs> Whatever you say, David. Hey, you know, I think without CM Punk, they probably wouldn't have gotten collision. Um, and I am, for the most part, even though, like we talked about, it is exhausting, you know, having so much wrestling to watch mm -hmm. every week. Um, you know, I, I still enjoy the show. And I'm glad that it's giving more wrestlers the spotlight. Um, especially when it comes to like the women's division, uh, and it you know CM Punk back in WWE, you know from what I've seen so far has been a good fit. Uh, you know, I mean, I I'm still CM Punk fan, and I want him to be happy, um, and I want him to stop punching people in the face. So, you know, I I just I would hate for his legacy to be what happened the last couple months in AEW. So I'm happy that he's going to hopefully get things back on track when it comes to his career. Um, and it looks like he's going to get everything he wants out of this business, you know, and like a, a big thing he wanted out of WWE was a main event in WrestleMania. And it, it looks like we're probably going to see him, you know, wrestle Seth for the world title probably this year. So um, although. It would be fucked up if The Rock knocked him out of that spot again. Because <laughs> I'm sure everyone has seen it at this point. The Rock did arrive on Raw this past week for their day one show. Uh, and yeah. Cody definitely saw oh it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Both him and Cody, like Punk and Cody, have to be just gritty their teeth right now. Like, oh, shit. Because someone's, someone's going to lose their spot. Because there's no way that they don't go with Rock and Roman in one mm. of the main events for Mania. Now, I mean, they could possibly have Roman pull, like, double duty and, you know, do both main events where, like, he wrestles against The Rock the first night and then Cody wrestles the winner. But that means Punk is out of, you know, his main event match 
or they yeah, just get it, Punk as main event match, and they give you know Roman and you know The Rock their main event match, and then Cody's stuck in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, right? Um, I don't know, man. It, they should have fucking gave him the belt at WrestleMania last yeah. year. Like that would have avoided all this. And there's, I don't care what anyone says. Like there's been nothing booking wise that dictates that Roman still needed that title this year. He could have won it back. He's like, before barely this mania. even been on the fucking shows, you know. And I'm not watching every week like I used to, but he's not even there, you know. And I think like. You know, with Seth having a title now, they they feel a little more justified in keeping Roman mm-hmm. off, you know, the show with you know with his crazy schedule and everything. But like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> but I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole because that's not why we're here. Uh, we're here to talk about the positives, uh, which is our favorite wrestlers of 2023 and our favorite matches of 2023. Uh, this year, we're keeping it to a top five with honorable mentions. So be it that I just so happen to have five honorable mentions. So it is what it is. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> but like last year, I'm not going to give a big explanation for the honorable mentions. I'm just going to uh-huh. mention them. Um, are we going to start off with wrestlers, our favorite wrestlers for 2023? Um, sure. Why not? Let's let's change it up for All a right, change. Up front. We are very much existing in the AEW bubble. Like, I yes. barely watch any New Japan and barely any WWE, honestly. Like, I was watching pretty much for Cody, Gunther, and Punk. And that was pretty much it this year, unfortunately. So, um, like I said, Collision just took up a lot of my time. So, I didn't have much time for more wrestling. So, that meant watching a lot of WWE highlights on YouTube. Um, it is what it is. All right. And since this is our wrestling segment, we don't do all the pomp and circumstance that we do with the rest of the show. Um, it's pretty raw. No pun intended. Uh, so, Christian, do you have any honorable mentions? Um, for my honorable mentions, I'm going to throw it out to Sky Blue, uh, Julia Hart, uh, Eddie Kingston and Jay White, even though like I didn't like his storyline with MJF that much. I, I enjoyed most of what he did with the new Bullet Club um, going on in AEW. Yeah, he somehow made me a fan of the Ass Boys. So, yes, he definitely deserves <laughs> some credit there. So, my honorable mentions go to Gunther, Julia Hart, uh, who I think is probably the most improved wrestler of the year, uh, Cody Rhodes, Tony Storm, uh, and Kenny Omega, which is crazy that he's an honorable mention, but. I mean, he's usually number one on our list. And so <laughs> he's in my like top, you know, match of the year. So, but he just, I feel like he hasn't wrestled a lot, unfortunately. No. So, I mean, he's pretty much number six on my list if you want to go that way. But, you know, a lot of that just has to do with him being injured and, and all the weirdness with the punk situation. So, exactly. All right. So, Christian, who was your number five pick for best wrestler of the year? Uh, for my number five, I went with Tony Storm. Um, I think she just dominated the women's division and not only, you know, you know, during her time as in the outcast to then creating this whole new, you know, character in timeless Tony Storm uh, that I I really have been enjoying and I hope to see, you know, it become something even better in, in the future. I, I don't know who she's going to like lose to with the title, but we'll see. Yeah, um, I feel like right now she's kind of miscast as a heel because she's so over. Um, I hmm. think the gimmick is pretty amazing. 
I don't like the fact that her in-ring work has suffered because the gimmick. Like, I feel like her matches are a little too overbooked and focused on the gimmick. I kind of wish, like, where we get, like, you know, the best of both worlds. I would love for her to have, you know, the hard-hitting style that she had with the outcasts and then just all the, you know, gimmickry with Timeless Tony Storm. Um, because right now, like, I don't know, I don't need the constant posing with the camera and shit like that. Like mm-hmm. once or twice a match is fine. She just needs to find that balance. If that makes any sense. I think we'll see a change when we start seeing like a lot of the returning stars, you know, that she's probably going to be going up against, like hopefully Jamie Hayter soon and, um, Deeb's coming back. I feel like it just depends on who she's in a feud with. No, right I now. agree. And maybe Mercedes, right? Maybe Mercedes. Yeah, and after watching Mariah May wrestle this past week, she's going to need that hard-hitting style just to survive. So um, <laughs> was, I was really impressed. Like, I've ne- I've heard great things about her, um, you know, with her, you know, time in stardom and everything like that. But I've never seen her actually wrestle, and she was pretty impressive. So, uh, but okay. So for my number five pick, I chose the world champion for most of the year in AEW, MJF. So while I didn't necessarily love all the storylines that he was involved in. Um, I don't think there's any argument though, that like he really carried the company in the main event scene for, you know, a good portion of this year. And I would say I enjoyed probably 80% of everything. So, I mean, that's a pretty damn good ratio. If you think about it, um, some of the stuff was a little too like sports entertaining for me. Um, but I think it helped AEW to start kind of gauging, like, how much is too much when it comes to, like, that aspect of wrestling. Uh, and I think now they're getting back on track, uh, you know, with the devil storyline coming to an end and everything like that. And, I mean, there's no doubt that MJF, like, brought it in the ring this year. He definitely wrestled more than he's ever wrestled before. Uh, and he's proved that, like... He belongs in the main event. He's a damn good wrestler uh, and one of the best fucking talkers in the game right now. So, I mean, he is world champion material uh, just because some of his feuds kind of, I don't know, faltered a little, um, you know, especially like that four pillar (laughs) uh, whole program. Uh, Like, I don't Mm. feel like that was completely all his fault. And I feel like he's been getting a lot of flack lately and it's just been unwarranted. Um, he deserves a lot of credit because he was part of a lot of, you know, the most entertaining moments in AEW all this year. Uh, for my number four, and I'm actually changing this on the fly here, um, I'm going to go with Adam Page just because I, at the beginning of the year, um, I definitely had lost a lot of interest in, you know, where he was going. You know, he was barely ever around. Um, and, and then it was really his two big feuds with, you know, Moxley and Swerve this year that really like showed you know, him kind of getting back into his character that we knew from like the start of AEW um, and getting to see him kind of, you know, back in his groove a little bit here. Um, that made me feel like he probably deserves to be on my list this year because uh, they've been fantastic feuds and they've been fantastic matches between all. Of yeah, them. I mean, you're you're making me want to change my list now. <laughs> he definitely deserves an honorable mention. So honorable mention, hang hmm. because you're right, like. The first half of the year, it felt like he kind of got lost in the shuffle and everything. Um, but like the, the the like the last quarter of this year, he really got things back on track, and he really was part of one of the best feuds of the year. And I mean, probably one of the best feuds of 
you know, AEW's like short existence uh, with, you know, Swerve. So, which I'm excited to see that they're actually rekindling it now. So, uh, but yeah, no, Hangman definitely deserves a lot of credit. Uh, for my number four pick, I chose Orange Cassidy. Uh, he really carried a bulk of AEW's in-ring product for a good portion of this year. Um, you know, he was that like, you know, fighting champion. I mean, he really helped put that like international title on the map and make it mean something so much that it actually ended up main eventing a pay-per-view with Moxley. I mean, if you remember, he was defending that belt weekly in like 20 minute bangers against like mm-hmm. all comers. Uh, he really and he really put some guys over. I mean, even though they didn't beat him, like, you know, he, you know, put some focus on them and showed like what they could do in the ring, you know, getting them over with the crowd. So Orange definitely deserves some love. Yeah, I like because he hasn't been around as much or they haven't been focusing on the title as much, you know, these past few weeks, which I mean, he's still getting matches and stuff. Yeah, right. No, you're right. Stuff like that. Like he was a big focus um, though for a good six months of the TV products. So exactly. And I I hope that they're able to start to rebuild that this year as well. We start to see that a little bit more because that title was super important. I mean, I I hope that they can build it back up again. I was actually expecting him to move on to the main event scene. You know, after yes, his initial run too, with the belt. But... So, you know, it was kind of disappointing to see him, you know, back, you know, chasing after, you know, the, the international title. But I think he could eventually get back to that, like, main event tier um, by the end of the year if they, if they you know, push him right. So um, he's shown that he can definitely pull it off in the ring. So why not? And fans are so behind him. And I feel like if he has the right champion to go up against, I mean, the sky's the limit for the guy. I feel like it's only a matter of like him going up against someone like Swerve to really like just elevate him to that you know, position. Yeah, and I, I think in the fan size, a lot of fan size, he is in that position. It's just whether or not mm-hmm. you know AW is willing to recognize it. Um, you know, I mean, the gimmick's fantastic, and I feel like he's kind of watering it down a lot lately. Um, you know, but I'm wondering if Tony's concerned about like the optics of having. <laughs> Orange is their world champion because he's more than deserving at this point. Uh, and I would be accepting of it, but I know like the trolls will come out in droves. <laughs> uh, well, for my number three, I went with Brian Danielson. Um, he hasn't had a single bad match all year. Uh, he just beats the shit out of people and it's fun every single fucking time. He's such a good heel. He's and he, he's such. He's playing, you know, all these different, you know, sides. Like he's not always. Yeah, I was going to say healed, he's a babyface but... half the time too. It depends on the week <laughs> exactly. and who he's facing. And it doesn't, and it doesn't annoy me. It's not like it's you know fucking you know Big Show where he was going back and forth. It's it he plays it up so well. Um, it, it, I don't know. The wrestling world is just better off because of Brian James. So he did an interview this week, and you know how they've been talking about how this is going to be his last year and everything. But in New yes. Japan, like he did an interview with what I believe is one of their local papers, and he basically mapped out what his career is going to look like after this year, which is about 10 to like 15 matches, which isn't so bad because I believe he's only had like 20 something matches this year. Mm-hmm. If you really add everything up and now a lot of that's just due to like injury and everything like that. But if he's still sticking around AEW and having like, you know, 10 to 50 matches every year. I'm fine with that. It's not bad. Yeah. You know, like when, (laughs) you know, I mean, that's basically all the pay-per-views, right? 
Like if you have him just wrestling big matches and you have him feel like an attraction, um, I think that works perfectly fine. You know, and that's how he should really be booked, honestly, at this point. Like, he's a legend, a living legend in the business. If anything, I wouldn't mind if he just played, you know, a voice for Yuta for a little bit, too. Like, in between. Like, because I, I really want Yuta to have a manager. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I, and I think that whole storyline is going to come to a head before goes on to this new chapter of his career. But anyway, my number three pick is Swerve Strickland. Um, there's no denying this guy. At this point, um, he is the hottest wrestler in the company. The fans are behind him. Uh, Tony seems to be behind him finally. He's done the work uh, character-wise, physically. Um, all of his matches feel must-see. Um, you know, he's hitting on all cylinders right now. So, and it just feels like sooner than later, he's going to be holding, you know, the world title. Um you know, this past week, we had him out there challenging Joe. I'm not sure if that's a program they're going to do right off the bat or a story that they want to do right off the bat. Because um, I could see them really focusing on Swerve's journey to the title and making it, like, into a really big deal. Like, I could see, like, mm-hmm. something that happens at, like, you know, All In, you know, at Wembley. Um, but who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they want to strike when the iron's at its hottest. And I, I, at this point, there's no denying it's fucking white hot. Well, I mean, it's AEW, so no, it, it's got to be a six month storyline <laughs> at least. Um, Swerve Strickland is my number two. Uh, I mean, just looking back at the pay per view, you had Dustin coming out um, to just a crowd chanting, you know, who's house yes. over and over again while he's getting brutally yes. beaten you know that that's that's how over swerve strictly yeah, is right and at now. this point like <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where you you wonder if like keeping him heels detrimental to the baby faces that he has to go up against yes mm-hmm. um where he's almost and i don't want to compare him to you know the biggest wrestler in the world stone cold steve austin but it's similar in the way that you know stone cold during his rise in popularity was a heel for a good portion of that. Um, even after you have the double turn, like he was still kind of like this tweener, you know, the infamous double turn that happened at uh, WrestleMania 13. Um, what they did, which was smart was they kept his attitude the same and everything that he was doing pretty much the same. They just had him do it against heels. So they just changed his opponents they didn't really change the character, though. So they could do something similar with, with Swerve. Um, because right now, there's no point in denying, you know, that he's getting cheered by most of the audience. Um, yeah. But it's kind of like going against the grain by having him, you know, murder poor Dustin Rhodes out there. <laughs> and it doesn't do Dustin any favors. And like Dustin's on the tail end of his career and he probably doesn't give a shit, you know, about, you know, what the crowd, you know, is thinking about his character and everything. He'll recover fine. But when you have him go up against other baby faces, it might be an issue. So it's something that they should definitely toy with right now. Exactly. I mean, as they continue to go on with this feud with, you know, Adam Page, at a certain point, I feel like you have to do a double turn. Yes. You know, so that, you know, Page doesn't completely <laughs> get just booed out the building for no reason. And honestly, at this point, I feel like 
Paige needs a heel turn. Like, you know, he's mm-hmm. been pretty much babyface his entire run with AEW. I mean, he had that moment where his character was in doubt and he kind of turned on the Young Bucks, but literally, like, the next week, he was remorseful and everything and, you know, <laughs> regretting uh, stabbing the Young Bucks in the back. And that was a big part of the storyline. So, like, let's give an edge to Hangman um, because I think it will heat him up also. Like, the crowd loves him and everything like that. And if you look at it, if you're looking at, like, pure baby faces, Hangman's probably their most over baby face. Um, you know, pure baby face. But, I mean, AEW has so many wrestlers that are tweeners right now. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, th- the entire Blackpool Combat Club are tweeners, depending on, the like, the <laughs> week it is. Um, so, I, I don't know. I-, I-, I think it'd be good to have, you know, Hangman turn and, you know, maybe have, you know, like like we were saying, like the whole Bret Hart, you know, Stone Cold situation. You have a double turn happen at, at their next match, which they're definitely about to have another, you know, match. Um, so maybe you do it there. I don't know. But anyway, we're totally off topic. <laughs> so uh, that was your number two pick. Well- Yes, what is yours? All right, my number two pick is Will Ospreay, because literally every fucking match that he had this year that I saw was jaw-dropping. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm super excited that he signed with AEW, so I, that means I'm going to get to see him wrestle on a regular basis. Uh, but, like, I don't even understand how he does half the things that he does. I thought, like, him putting <laughs> on more body mass would slow him down. And it has to a certain extent, but, like, it it honestly has made everything that he does look more brutal and convincing. So um, I don't know. Like I, I I think Swerve versus Will Ospreay would be one hell of a fucking feud and a great Oof. main event for Wembley. For Wembley, right? yes. So I mean that's uh, like a program that could you know sustain AEW for years to come. Uh, so yeah, no, Will Ospreay is my number two pick just cause I said like literally going through my list of best matches, like Ospreay's name kept on popping up time after time. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, no Osprey number two. All right. And that brings me to my number one, which I picked MJF, uh, for many of the reasons you said for number five, he's been carrying the company through and through, um, out the year as champion. Um, and just every time, like, Every time he's on the mic with anyone, even if it's overshadowing them, it's just the performance that you have to see. You know, whether it's, you know, live on television or on YouTube, you have to go check out whatever the fuck he said that week. Um, and it's just it, it's just been that way since he's you know been champion and even before. Um, and while, yeah, the feuds have been hit or miss here or there, he still put on a great match every single time. And I, I can't deny you know, that MJF, you know, deserves this type of credit right now. Um, he is a fantastic wrestler, and I, you know, I believe he's staying with AEW, but I hope he, you know, never considers yeah, leaving no, I'm anyway. pretty sure he's already signed, so that's all. That's all uh-huh. bullshit. Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, if you think about it, like, he made for a great babyface this year, um, which is something I didn't think we'd see for a long, long time. And, I mean, there was, like, subtle nuance changes with his character, but they didn't change much. Like, he's just such a lovable bastard, though. And, like, you know, the storyline that they told with him um, made him sympathetic in a strange way that shouldn't work, but it somehow did because 
he's just so fucking entertaining to watch that it's mm-hmm. hard not to fall in love with the character. So I agree 100% that MJF, you know, belongs on like the top echelon of wrestlers this year. Uh, but for my number one pick, I chose someone you already talked about, Brian Danielson. Um, like you said, he hasn't had a bad match. In fact, most of his fucking matches have been amazing. And I had to honestly like stop him from dominating my uh, top matches of the year list um, <laughs> because I was realizing that it was just getting a little redundant uh, at this point. Uh-huh. Like every Brian Danielson match is a must see uh, in my mind. And I love Will Ospreay, but in my mind, Brian Danielson is the best wrestler in the world because not only does he bring all the technical ability that he brings to the table, but he knows how to tell a fantastic story in the ring that you can track that has a strong beginning, middle and end every time out. Like he never phones it in. Um, And everyone who gets in the ring with him is better for it. You know, when the bell rings at the end. So uh, Brian Danielson has to be my number one pick for the year. Um, I'm sad that, you know, his career is kind of winding down, even though, like I said, I mean, 10, 15 matches a year. I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> That's pretty much the schedule that he's been keeping. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think we need to just bask in his greatness while we still have it. You know, I, I say this all the time and it's my you know hot take. I wasn't the biggest fan of him while he was in WWE. And, you know, seeing him, you know, get to go, balls to the wall here in AEW and you know really show his true love for wrestling every single time he's out every single week i mean it's definitely tuned like changed my tune to him um entirely see um, i i feel like he was the best wrestler in that company the entire t- like his entire career there so like. yes but i just didn't ever like any of the storylines that were going on i don't know it i just, get it yeah, for me. there's some wrestlers who just aren't for you i i totally understand i've got a i got a handful mm-hmm. of wrestlers that people love that you know just I'm not a fan of, so I totally get it. Um, but yeah, seeing basically Brian Danielson unleashed is a different beast altogether. Yes, you know in AEW. <laughs> so he's having so much fun every time he's in the ring. Like you just watch the emotions play out. No, it's it so shows. Great. And I haven't even seen his match against Okada yet at Wrestle Kingdom. So, but anyway, with that being said, let's go ahead and move on to our favorite matches of the year. Um, just for an honorable mention, I did put FTR versus Bullet Club. Uh, the two out of three falls on Collision. I believe that was the 15th of, J- of July. Wow, you've got dates and oh, shit. Oh. I, I have no clue. That felt like it took place like <laughs> six collision, months ago. So it's just like I felt like I had to put yeah, the date. No, so. <laughs> um, that's actually my number five pick. So uh, I'm right there with oh, okay, you. Awesome. It was almost 60 minutes, right? They almost went to the time limit draw. Yes. Um, <laughs> hell of a fucking match. Um, FTR had a low key fantastic year. Um, it's just weird because they haven't been like the sole focus of the tag division of late. So, so it kind of feels like they're ending the year on a whimper, but I mean, all the matches and feuds that they've been in this year have been strong. I think at this point, people are starting to just take them for granted. Uh, also this match (laughs) and this feud was a great way to really introduce Jay White to the AEW audience and make him feel like a big deal. Cause you remember like that first like month or so he was just kind of like there, 
Um, and it didn't seem like Tony yes. knew what to do with him because I don't think he honestly thought he was going to be able to sign him because all like signs were pointing to like Jay White going to WWE, but for some reason that fell through. Um, so I think like Tony got him and it was like, oh shit, like I've I've already got all these plans going on and you know you're this top guy, but I don't know how to feature you right now like a top guy. Um, this was a great way to kind of just introduce him to an AEW audience and make him mm-hmm. feel like a big deal and show what he does best, which is bring his own style, you know, his own different style to the AEW product and just wrestle fantastic matches. Speaking of uh, 60 minutes, I had for my number five MJF versus Brian Danielson at revolution. Um, this is pretty much, you know, MJF getting to show everyone just how far he can go. And I guess uh, someone just like Brian Danielson, I mean, if anyone's going to bring the best out of you, it's Brian. Um, and this is the match that really kind of got people to see just how much of a champion, you know, MJF can be. Yeah, so I think this really put MJF on the map as world champion and the fact that he can hang mm-hmm. with Brian Danielson in a match like this. Uh, an Iron Man match is no small feat. I'm not the biggest Iron Man match fan, um, but at the same time, I was really impressed with how far they were able to push each other. Um, and mm. once again, like Brian's ability to really highlight what an amazing wrestler MJF really is. Um, this was actually my number four pick. So that, that works out. Well, then for my number four, I went with Paige versus Moxley at Revolution. Even with uh, Hangman coming out uh, to uh, Riders in the Sky, uh, I, I was in love with the entire match. You know, he fucking hangs uh, Moxley in this one uh, with the chain. Uh, it's just, of course, it's Moxley. He's going to go for whatever brutal spots he can do <laughs> in a match. So it really put over um, Paige Was this a Texas it. death match? Yes, it was Texas death. Yes. I should have okay. that. Okay, yes. I wasn't sure. Um, and uh, that's, you know, Hangman's uh, signature match now. So uh, mm-hmm. rightfully so. So for my number three pick, I also have a gimmick match. Uh, it was a strap match, and it was between Brian Danielson and Ricky Starks. Uh, this match was brutal. <laughs> there's points where i was like uncomfortable where i was like did, did starks do something to brian that he's like treating him like this because brian was literally belting starks in the face with that strap i've never seen anything like that and i've seen a lot of strap matches but this one was like significantly the most brutal match you know strap match i've ever seen um and if you remember this was supposed to be a cm punk match with Starks. Yeah. Right? This came out of the mm. whole Ricky the Dragon Steamboat program that they did. But then Punk got himself fired. Um, so Brian was like a last minute like stand-in. Uh, which you wonder what holy he does shit, which is apparently <laughs> beat the shit out of Ricky Starks. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but I mean, even like with Brian going over here, he still found a way to also put over Starks. Um, now has AEW followed up with him? Not really. Um, yeah, he's part of the tag champs right now and everything like that, but he feels like kind of an afterthought and like part of that's due to injuries with, you know, uh, Kenny and everything, but Mm -hmm. I don't know, man, like Starks was such a big part of those early days of collision where he was kind of like the top heel really. Um, it just kind of sucks that like we haven't had the follow 
you know, through that he deserves. Um, but it wasn't due to the lack of trying on Stark's part, because, you know, at least in the ring, like this match was pretty fucking epic. Um, so hopefully they're able to refocus, you know, his push in this coming year. I absolutely agree, because that was also my number three pick was Ricky versus uh, Brian. You won't forget where you were when you saw just how many strikes Ricky took throughout that entire match. Oh. I mean, that was just insane. It was, it was almost like it was borderline <laughs> criminal. Like <laughs> felt like someone should have been probably calling the authorities during the match. Uh-huh. Like, what's going on here? We're watching a man get like mugged. But I do. I, I really want Ricky to get a better storyline or something for his character um, going forward, because it's just been weird promos and weird yes. moments for him ever since. And it's just, I don't know. It almost like, I don't want AEW to have any more titles, but it almost makes me wish that there was a bigger title on collision for him to, you know, be the like champion over other than the tag titles. Dear of course. God, Christian. Um, like maybe even send him, give him, give him the TNT championship and make that a bigger storyline for him or something. But I, I mean, don't know. I could see edge, eventually winning the TNT belt and then heading right into a feud with Ricky. I think yeah. that would be good for Starks. Um, we did have that little awkward moment between the two earlier, you know, when edge arrived at, you know, uh, initially in AEW. Um, but yeah, a lot of clunky, weird promos and awkwardness um, with some of his storylines and segments of late. Uh, I hope it's not a case of him kind of like losing confidence, uh, you know, and just not like trusting the direction that they have him in, you know, going in right now. Uh, so I, only time can tell. I think the one thing that's really important for him is to make the most out of every minute that he gets on screen. Um, you know, even if they're not, you know, giving you the push that you deserve, uh, make yourself undeniable to them because he was headed in that direction. But like mm-hmm. there's been times where the, it feels like he's had the ball in segments and he's kind of like dropped it. So and that's just me. And maybe there's other things going on that we don't know about or we're not privy to. But it's been a little rough lately. So um, he hasn't flourished like swerve and tony this past yes year. you know it's just... i agree with that and it felt like he was heading that direction and he was getting like super hot but then i don't know something happened it, it's, it's just been weird lately so my number two pick for match of the year was the aforementioned swerve versus hangman adam page in a texas death match uh yes. this was an all-timer of a match. Um, this is a match that I don't think anyone will soon to forget. Uh, there was, sh- there was shit in this match that I've never seen before. And I kind of hope I never see again. <laughs> like, I don't need to see a man drink another man's blood, like for real. And like, unless they're a vampire in a movie, like I'm good. <laughs> I mean, Gangrel like, must have been jealous gross. of that spot. <laughs> well, I'm sure Gangrel does that weekly on the indie scene. But, I mean, he's kind of a sick fuck. Um, but yeah, no, like the, this just, like I said, this is like an instant classic of a match. Um, like it's a match that will be talked about for years to come. And I feel like it's a match that really like propelled swerve to the top of the company 
um, and to that like upper echelon of, you know, wrestlers who, you know, like I was talking about with like Ricky, that are just undeniable at this point to the point where mm-hmm. it's like booking malpractice if Swerve doesn't get a world title reign this year uh, in AEW. So, uh, yeah, th- this definitely had to be high on my list. I mean, I agree because it's also my number two. Um, Swerve definitely deserves a championship by the end of this year, um, no matter what at this point. I mean, you got to remember, right before this match, uh, he threatened a baby's life, and they were still <laughs> cheering the hell out of him um, throughout the entire match. Yeah. So he is so that, over. You have to give pretty him Pretty much what happened. So <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but anyway, we're running out of time, um, and I could talk about this Texas death match all night so let's move on to our number one picks uh i have a feeling they're probably the same uh and i kind of cheated a little uh my number one pick is omega versus osprey wrestle kingdom slash forbidden door um i couldn't choose between the two i think wrestle kingdom was probably technically like in the ring the better match but forbidden door just had all the drama um so i, I don't know like i'm kind of leaning towards forbidden door honestly uh but but just two master craftsmen doing some of their best work of their career so um you know like kenny would be much further on my top wrestler list if he wrestled more this year i just and yes. he was kind of stuck in the trios division for a bit um so it is what it is but i mean osprey is the future and the present of wrestling um and like he deserves all the flowers at this point yeah i mean this is the first year where you know kenny isn't at the top of my list in in you know best of and even so this still this match is my number one because it's it's just so uh, fucking wrestle good. kingdom or forbidden door <laughs> i picked forbidden gotcha. door just there's so much more to it you know osprey's coming in as a pure fucking killer at this point looking to get you know at kenny it was just there was so much more to it i think so i get both matches like mixed up forbidden door is when osprey hits the fucking one winged angel on kenny and then kenny like jumps up at the one count Mm. right that that was the moment right there that's such a (laughs) amazing i've never seen a crowd pop for a one count before <laughs> that was fantastic but yeah like what you said with osprey being now in the future it's just like make and then you brought up you know the potential of him going up against swerve that's just going to be the best match ever if they were to put that at wembley that would just and oh they actually God, have the a history together they've wrestled on the mm-hmm. scene before when they were much younger so there's a lot they could really like lean into story-wise so yeah no i mean but i mean back to the match the you know too like there's another match in the waiting for omega mm-hmm. and osprey because they they have to have the rubber match at this point yeah. you know so um i was expecting it actually to be at wrestle kingdom this year but even before kenny got hurt that didn't seem to be on the cards which i was really surprised by but i mean if you think about it, it makes sense since osprey is going to be moving to AEW full time now um like why would new japan feature two non-new japan contracted wrestlers on their biggest event of the year in a match against each other so 
Because everyone wants to well, see it. Yes, <laughs> but I'm sure Tony would much rather have it on one of his uh, pay-per-views, right? So, uh, but yeah, no, I can't wait for that match to happen because I'm sure they were holding back with the idea of a third match on the horizon. I mean, how much further can you go after choking a man with a flag, you know? <laughs> uh, I'm sure they'll figure something out, Christian. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I hope for a speedy recovery for Kenny, uh, and hopefully we can get this match sooner than later. You know, I agree. I agree. Well, I know we were kind of like doom and gloom with AEW in the beginning of the show, but I mean, 2023 has been a hell of a year in ring, regardless of our issues with the booking. Um, you know, so hopefully, you know, 2024 is more of the same. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by theamazingnerdshow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we count down our most anticipated films and TV series of 2024. And we'll be giving you a review for Marvel's Echo. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Alright, my name's Obi Obi Brown. I was bitten by her. What did you like to know? Get on, man. And for the last three years, I've been the one and only. Wait, 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 wait. wait. You think I'm gonna show you my secret identity? Come out of it. That is when I'm not playing shows, antagonizing fascists, staging unpermitted political actions slash performing art pieces, or having a laugh at the pub with Amanda. I'm not a role model. I was briefly a runway model. I hate the AM. I hate the PM. I hate labels. I'm not a hero because calling yourself a hero makes you a self-apologizing narcissistic autocrat.